Before we begin, I would like to make a dedication for this show. Uh, those of you who have been longtime listeners know I have mentioned my dear and old friend Art many times on previous shows. Uh, Art passed away on this day in 2005 from a massive heart attack at the very young age of 35. And he is greatly missed. And although I know his energy is still around and still feel him around, um, the physical presence, as you all know, when you have a loved one that's passed, um, we miss that physical because being human um, is, is very physical, you know, if not 99% physical, you know, at least that's how we're conditioned to be. So anyway, I would like to dedicate today's show, the last episode in the Mother Irene series to my dear friend, Art. Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a trans-denominational podcast. All are welcome and safe, no matter what your faith is or isn't. Hello, my name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, director of the Oblates Perpetual Light, a life coach and intuitive healer. I firmly believe that divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we will explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen and heal you and your faith. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed. Infinite thanks, blessings and love for tuning in to part three of the mother irene life and miracles story how are you all digging it so far i mean to me it's just so mind-blowing so heartwarming so encouraging so inspiring there's so many layers of this yummy yummy cake uh that is um mother irene and her teachings and all of the stuff she's sharing these stories it's just it's so amazing. I hope you all are enjoying it as much as me. If you're new to the show, thanks for finding us. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. Uh, again, as I just said, this what we're sharing today is part three of the Mother Irene story. So you may want to go back and listen to the first two previous episodes uh, parts, so you are up to speed on everything that we're going through here, because it's a it's a very progressive story that takes us from her birth um, through where we're at now. So check that out. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for always being such a diehard, strong, supportive, and loving member of our show. It is because of you that this show is here. So, no promises, but I'm going to do my very level best to wrap this up today, folks. So, 
hang on to your seats as we continue. And no, I'm not going to give disclaimers. I, I did that the past two episodes. So by now, you all know that this is going to be a long show. And by now, you all know that this is going to be quite the fantastical journey. So we continue seeking to divest herself of earthly affections. The newly consecrated nun, Irene, exercised virtues that she incessantly nourished by fervent prayer. Every evening upon returning to her cell, she practiced careful self-examination and through prayer sought consolation. She knew that prayer is the channel of all graces and the means of attaining all virtues. To urge us to attain the virtues of endurance, humility, and love towards one another, she shared with us the following experience that shows the importance of spiritual vigilance and sincere self-examination. Mother Irene says, One day, while attending Mass, I noticed that some nuns were chatting together all the time about manual work. I was surprised. On the way back to my cell, I witnessed another incident between two nuns, and I wondered about their conduct, but did not utter a word. I did not think that these thoughts could be a kind of condemnation, so I forgot all about it. In the evening, while praying, as usual, before the icons at the eastern corner of my cell, I said to myself, you have many great hidden weaknesses. Others might have obvious weaknesses, but fewer. Suddenly, I found myself before an iron gate of a huge building, someone standing next to it opened and let me in. The place was dark and extremely depressing. Its walls were made of stone and its smell was offensive. It had trenches and in each trench there was a nun. They were all crying. I asked them, what brought you to such a place? I cannot stand its smell. They answered, because we used to condemn the mother superior and our sisters too. We also interfered in the policies of the convent. Then they asked me, what brought you here? I answered, today I have fallen into the sin of condemnation. I tried to leave this place as quick as possible. I found a staircase leading to the gate through which I had entered. There I found someone who was clad in white. Inside me, I thought of giving him anything to let me out, but he said, I am the keeper of this place, and I do not take any money. You see how horrifying it is. I said, I want to leave this place. I cannot tolerate it. He answered, all those who are here have fallen into the sin of condemnation and are going to stay here. But you have the permission to come to this place and leave. So watch out. I said, I have repented and will never condemn again. I want to leave. He let me out and showed me two paths, one narrow with stone walls and through which I must move sideways and bruise either my face or my back. The other was very wide, full of cars, people, and dazzling lights. He said, at the end of the narrow path, you will find your convent. But if you take the wide one, you will get lost. I said, I will take the narrow path, and to avoid bruising my face, I will give my back to the stone walls. I moved along. It was a long way, and the friction between the walls and my back hurt a lot. Finally, I reached the eastern gate 
of the convent. As soon as I was in my cell, I knelt to pray. I said, forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. I thank you for not leaving me at this horrible place. Please help me repent and not condemn or criticize others. Conscious again, I found myself kneeling at the prayer corner of my cell, bathed in tears. The offensive smell was still clinging to my nostrils. I spent the night praying and shedding tears of sincere repentance. I asked God to help me make a new beginning and avoid condemning others completely. Next day, whenever I tried to bend down, I suffered from great pain in my back and shoulders. When I showed my back to the mother superior, she told me that it was all bruised and that my clothes were covered with blood. She applied an antiseptic and I suffered for three days from high fever and the severity of the wounds. I was exhausted after all I had gone through. The nuns of the convent noticed that I was excessively fatigued, and when they inquired about the reason, I used to answer, this is because of my sins. I remained like this until I met our confessor on his weekly visit. When I told him about what had happened to me, he said, thank God that he has given you the lesson early so that you do not condemn anybody or interfere in matters of the convent or the nuns or anybody. I followed his advice and plugged my ears with small cotton balls so that I do not hear anything that is going on between the mother superior and any nun. I lived in complete estrangement from my cell to my work and vice versa. I have firmly decided that whatever takes place, I will act as if I am not in the convent at all. And although I love the mother superior and she loved me too, but whenever she started to tell me, Irene, haven't you heard? I used to answer right away. I have not heard and I do not want to know. She used to comprehend my reasons for saying so. And she was never angry with me. Whenever I was asked to convey a message to the mother superior, I put it simply. If anybody entered her cell, to place a complaint or report something, I looked for any pretext to excuse myself, taking the water jug to fill it or doing some washing. I did not want to hear anything to avoid condemnation. So you can take condemnation. You can take that word and it translates to judgment. How quick are we to judge others? You know, as you all have heard so much on this show of my journey, again, I'm not making this about me, just sharing. On my journey to uh, holy orders, to priesthood, I'm coming across quite a bit of judging and judgment and things of that nature. And life is full of that. People are judging us all of the time, and we are judging others all of the time. And we see here with this an amazing example by Mother Irene of the importance of not judging others. You know, this is, if you're Christian, this is one of the highest commandments that Jesus said. You know, don't judge others. Love others as you love yourself. And in others, we're supposed to see Christ in everyone and everything. So if we're judging others, we're actually judging Christ. I know that is kind of very hard for our minds to wrap around, but it's, it's true. So when you're pointing at someone saying they're a pagan, they're a sinner, they're going to hell, what are you doing? You're pointing at Christ saying you're a sinner, you're a pagan, 
you're going to hell. We have to be so very careful and choose our words wisely. They have to come from the heart, not the head. We have to be accepting. We have to be inclusive. We have to promote unity instead of separation. Or better yet, segregation. They can't come to my church because they're Jews. They can't come to my church because they're Muslims. I don't have anything to do with them because they're Protestant. I don't have anything to do with them because they're Roman Catholic. I definitely don't have anything to do with them because they're witches. Witches worship the devil. You know, how can they worship the devil when they don't believe in the devil? So they don't do any devilish practices. That's our ignorance. But you guys get the point is that Mother Irene here is showing us the importance of keeping focused on our salvation, keeping focused on love, keeping focused on doing good, a.k.a. being like Jesus, being like Christ, walking as Christ, walking as Jesus, walking as Buddha, walking as whatever you believe, doing that good, sharing that love, helping and not harming. In June 1956, three years after I had joined the convent, I received the news that my mother had passed away. She had not visited me all this time. Only my father visited me whenever he came to Cairo for business. When I received the news, I recalled my mother's words before I joined the convent. Stay with me. It will be only three years from now, and I will depart to heaven. At that time, I answered her, May God extend your life for the sake of your children. It is better that I join the convent while you are still living. In obedience to the orders of Pope Kyrilos VI and the Mother Superior, I traveled with Omina Kira Eskander to offer condolences to the family. We took the train at 4 p.m. from Cairo Station heading to Gerga before reaching Asuit Station which is midway between Cairo and Gerga. We were informed that there was a derailed train there. We had to get off our train and take another, which was waiting a little bit far from where we were. Everybody rushed to find a seat in the other train. It was pitch dark, and of course we had no matches or flashlights. We prayed, asking for God's help. We waited until the rush was over, and as our train was far from the station, and there was no platform, we will have to jump from the high carriage to the ground. Suddenly, an officer whose face radiated peace, tranquility, and great spirituality appeared in front of us, kindly addressed us, saying, Do not be afraid, mothers. God is with you. We answered, May God be with us and with you. He addressed me, saying, Give me your hand to help you get off the train. I refused, thanked him, and jumped. Then he addressed Omina Kira and said, Give me your hand. She answered, No thanks, and she took my hand and jumped. We noticed that a ray of light radiated from this officer. It looked like a torchlight whose beam lit the distant rails. As we hurried up to reach the other train, he said, The train will not leave before you reach it. I am traveling on the same train. 
When we reached the train, we found that all of its carriages were crowded. In one of them, a few soldiers were sitting. As soon as they saw the officer, they stood up, gave him a salute. He then told them, isn't it shameful that you sit and leave those nuns standing? They answered, as you order. And we got seated and thanked them. The officer sat beside us and asked us about our destination. We said that Irene's mother had passed away and this is why we were traveling to Gerga. He said, I am traveling to Gerga too. He chatted with us all the way and just before we arrived, we asked him for his name and where he lives. He answered, is it essential that you know my name? We said, we are our families, or excuse me, we and our families would like to thank you. He smiled and said, I am living in the convent of St. Mercurius. I am Philopater Mercurius. And he disappeared. All those who were present, and the soldiers too, were astonished. Then Omina Kyria said, May God forgive you, Irene. Why did you not let him hold my hand? <laughs> I would have taken his blessing. All of the passengers started asking about the officer who had disappeared, and when they knew that it was St. Philopater Mercurius, they asked about the story of his life. This shows how God answers our prayers whenever we are in need by sending his martyrs and saints to aid us. He does not abandon us, but instead gives us peace, strength, endurance, and a great reward in heaven too. And because he is the lover of mankind, merciful and kind, he attracts sinners for the sake of the salvation of their souls. He sympathizes with us. We have nobody else but him. Nothing gives us happiness and comfort except for the love of God. When we reached my parents' house, those who were present there told me, you are the reason for your mother's death. I used to say, God, am I the cause of my brothers and sisters being orphans? While Irene prayed and wept bitterly, someone with a luminous body who looked like a saint appeared to her and repeated the verse, do not grieve like others. Yet she was neither filled with comfort nor peace. When she asked him who he was, he said he was Anthony the Great. To test if this vision is heavenly or not, she said, where is the cross of your Christ? And made the sign of the cross. At once he disappeared, which showed that this vision was not heavenly. The darkness cannot support the sign of the cross. And his false vision do not bring any comfort or peace. Irene spent one year at her parents' house during which she had seen her mother in visions in near world times. Once her mother told her, do not think at all that you are the reason for my passing away. Her mother also helped her overcome all the difficulties that she had encountered. And again, what has happened during this year showed that Heaven is so near and confirmed our faith about paradise, which God has prepared for those who love him and as a reward to the saints who lived in perfection, leading a life that pleased the Almighty. Irene tells us about one of her sisters who was not consoled who cried bitterly after their mother's departure. Her mother brought her holy water, and after she drank it, she woke up happy and stopped crying. And whenever one of her sisters fell sick, she saw her mother sitting by her side all night taking care of her 
and praying for her. Another time, when cold was severe and the cover fell off her small brothers and sisters, her mother put it back on its place. One of them woke up and said, I dreamt that mother put a cover on me. Moreover, God has permitted Irene to see the high rank of her mother in heaven. One day I was taken to heaven by an angel and I saw what I has not seen. I cannot describe what I have seen because it is far beyond words. I saw my mother with another woman like me, or excuse me, like her. She addressed the other woman saying, this is my daughter, the nun, whom I have told you about. I accompanied my mother in the greenery of paradise. I saw rivers of crystal water and very beautiful flowers and a light that fills the heart with heavenly peace. I asked my mother if they see God in paradise. She answered, yes, he fills all paradise. After matters became stable, Irene returned to her convent again. From the very first days after she had joined the convent, heaven manifested many signs of support for this trustworthy soul that was chosen to lead the lives of many others in the path of the angelic life. Irene led a sincere and honest spiritual life. She revealed all her inner thoughts to her confessor and the mother superior and was obedient to them and was committed to their spiritual advice and was distinguished in the practice of ascetic life. She nurtured herself with holy books and the writings of the lives of the saints. This was a well of heavenly treasures, excuse me, this well of heavenly treasures from which she obtained her strength. God granted her a special grace to comprehend what she read and to keep it in her heart, preparing her for carrying the torch of leadership. So Mother Irene tells us more about those first days. Omina Ufrosina, an old nun at the time, was a slave in Ethiopian origin in the household of the physician's family who treated her equally. Since she joined the convent, she took on the hardest jobs without pitying herself. She used to say, I worked hard outside the convent. Shouldn't I work harder in the house of God? I must serve all. And although she has become older, she still remained a hard worker and always asked for God's assistance. She worked all day and prayed all night and abstained from meat, vegetables, and fruits, and only ate halva, which is a sweet, and molasses all year round. Her cell was next to mine in the darkness, enraged to behold so much good, waged a fierce war against her. The darkness assailed her with pottery that flew into her face without any human intervention. She screamed and said, O power of God, assist me. My beloved Abu Safin, help me. She cried and struggled, and after a while, I used to see a bright, strong light in her cell and hear her saying, You have run away your cursed ones. It is the power of God that made you run away. Then she used to start chanting, Praise him, glorify him, exalt him, above all because his mercy endures forever. And that is from the Midnight Praise. I used to enjoy hearing those praises, and next day we used to see many bruises on her face. When I joined the convent and was still a novice, Omina Kiria Iskandar, the nun who visited us at my hometown, Gerga, took me to take the blessing of that devout nun. 
She knocked at her door, and when she opened, she went in. But I remained outside, unseen, by Omina Ufrosina. Then I heard Omina Ufrosina calling me, asking me to enter. She said, come in, new girl, and sit down. You will be the superior of this convent. She then addressed Omina Kiria, the scander, saying, look, Omina Kiria, this girl will become the superior of this convent. Omina Kiria replied, the rats of this convent have not yet felt her presence. She meant that nobody has felt her presence yet. Omina Ufrisia replied, rats or no rats, she's going to be. I will not be here. I will be in heaven. You will see then. I took no heed to those words. I said to myself, this is an old nun who does not know me, and this is the first time that she sees me, but I am sure of her sanctity. A second incident. A few months later, Irene suffered from a severe headache, and the pain in her eyes sewed together with Omina Kiria Skander. They visited several ophthalmologists, but in vain. By permission of the Mother Superior, Omina Kira Iskander took her to Father Mina L. Baromelsi, who was leading a solitary life at that time in Old Cairo, and who became later Pope Kirillus VI to pray for her. Irene tells us, Father Mena put the cross he held in his hand on my head and prayed for a long time. Then he addressed Amina Kiria and said, this girl reads a lot and passes her nights in prayer, and this enrages darkness. The headache she suffers is from the war waged against her by the darkness. Look, Omina Kira, this girl will become the superior of the convent. In her days, a lot of events will take place. And in her days, too, several altars will be built and many will join the convent. And she replied, what are you saying, Father? He replied, look, Omina Kiria, I will remind you, if I was still living, and if I go to heaven, remember what I told you. She replied, may God preserve your life. And we left. And Irene relates, one night I had a dream. This is the third incident. I saw three luminous persons wearing crosses who were also holding crosses in their hands. They brought a chair and started taking its measures. I asked them about what they were doing. They replied, we are building this chair to fit your measures exactly. I asked them, who are you? They replied, we are the three Makari. I could not comprehend what they said, so I spoke with my confessor about the dream. He replied, do not pay heed to it. Three Makari, Macarius the Elder, and known as Macarius the Great, the Lamp of the Desert. St. Macarius the Elder was born in Upper East. So we're getting some information on St. Macarius. Was born in Upper Egypt about the year 300 and brought up in the country and tending cattle. In his childhood, in company with some others, he once stole a few figs and ate one of them. But since his conversion to his death, he never ceased to weep bitterly for this sin. By a powerful call of divine grace, he retired from the world in his youth and dwelling in a little cell in a village 
made mats in continual prayer and great austerities. A wicked woman falsely accused him of having deflowered her. For this supposed crime, she was dragged through the streets, beaten and insulted as a base hypocrite under the garb of a monk. He suffered all with patience and sent the woman what he earned by his work, saying to himself, Well, Macarius, having now another to provide for, thou must work harder. But God revealed his innocence, for the woman's falling in labor lay in extreme anguish, could not be delivered till she had named the true father of her child. The people converted their rage into greatest admiration of the humility and patience of the saint. To shun the esteem of men, he fled into the vast hideous desert of Skiti, being then about 30 years of age. In this solitude, he lived 60 years and became the spiritual parent of innumerable holy persons who put themselves under his direction and were governed by the rules he prescribed them. But each of them dwelt in separate hermitage. St. Macarius admitted only one disciple with him in his cell to entertain strangers. He was compelled by the Egyptian, by an, excuse me, an Egyptian bishop to receive the order of priesthood about the year 340, the 40th of his age, that he might celebrate the divine mysteries for the convenience of his holy colony. When the desert became densely populated with monks, four churches were built. The austerities of St. Macarius were excessive, usually ate but once a week. He delivered his instructions in a few words and principally inculcated silence, humility, mortification, retirement, and continual prayer, especially the last, to all sorts of people. He used to say, in prayer, you need not use many or lofty words. You can often repeat with a sincere heart, Lord, show me mercy as thou knowest best, or assist me, O God. He was much delighted with his perfect resignment of love. O Lord, have mercy on me as thou pleasest and knowest best in thy goodness. His mildness and patience were invincible. The darkness told him one day, I can surpass thee in watching, fasting, and many other things, but humility conquers and disarms me. A young man asking St. Macarius for spiritual advice, he directed him to go to a burying place and upbraid the dead, and then go and flatter them. When he came back, the saint asked him, what answer the dead gave you? None at all, said the other, either to reproaches or praises. Then, replied, excuse me, replied Macarius, go and learn neither to be moved with injuries nor flatteries. If you die to the world and to yourself, you will begin to live to Christ. He said to another, receive from the hand of God poverty and cheerfully as riches hunger, and want as plenty, and you will conquer the darkness and subdue all your passions. A certain monk complained to him that in solitude he was always tempted to break his fast, whereas in the monastery 
We could fast the whole week cheerfully. Vain glory is the reason, replied Saint. Fasting pleases when men see you, but seems intolerable when the passions is not gratified. So he's pointing out the ego. But, you know, because he received, you know, glances and looks and comments and praises for fasting in a monastery with other people, he could do it easily because it fed his ego. But when he's by himself, it was very difficult. One came to consult him who had molested with temptations to impurity. The saint examining into the source found it to be sloth and advised him never to eat before sunset, to meditate fervently at his work and to labor vigorously without sloth the whole day. The other faithfully complied and was freed from his enemy. God revealed to St. Macarius, Macarius that he had not attained the degree of perfection of two married women who lived in a certain town. He made him visit them and learned the means by which they sanctified themselves. They were extremely careful never to speak any idle or rash words. They lived in constant practice of humility, patience, meekness, charity, resignation, mortification of their own will, and conformity to the humors of their husbands and others. Where the divine law did not interpose in a spirit of recollection, they sanctified all their actions by ardent prayers by which they strove to praise God and most fervently to consecrate to the divine glory all the powers of their soul and body. A subtle heretic of the sect of Heresites, called so from Herax, who in the reign of the Diocletian denied the resurrection of the dead, had by his sophisms caused some to stagger in their faith. St. Macarius, to confirm them in the truth, raised a dead man to life, as Socrates, Sozomen, Palladius, and Rufinus relate. Lucius the Arian usurper of the See of Alexandria, who had expelled Peter the successor of St. Athanasius in 376, sent troops into the desert to disperse a zealous monks, several of whom sealed their faith with their blood. The chiefs, namely the two Macariuses, Isidore, Pombo, and some others, by the authority of the Emperor Valens, were banished into a little isle of Egypt, surrounded with great marshes. The inhabitants, who were pagans, were all converted to the faith by the confessors. The public indignation of the whole empire obliged Lucius to return to their cells. Our saint, knowing that his end drew near, made a visit to the monks of Natria and exhorted them to compunction and tears so pathetically that they all fell weeping at his feet. Let us weep, brethren, he said, and let our eyes pour forth floods of tears before we go hence, lest we fall into that place where tears will only increase the flames in which we shall burn. He went to receive the reward of his labors in the year 390 and of his age, the 90th year, after spending 60 years in the desert of Siti. The two other fathers, the two Makari, like twin lights illuminating the heavens, 
of whom one was an Egyptian by birth and had been a disciple of the Blessed Anthony, the other an Alexandrian. As their names suggest, the virtues of their souls and the grace of heaven were in them marvelously combined. The one Macarius was equal to the other in feats of abstinence and in virtue of soul, and only excelled the other in that he possessed as if inherited the graces and powers of the blessed Anthony. They were both there when someone in the district committed the crime of murder. Someone else who was innocent was charged with the crime. He who suffered this calumny fled to their cell. Those who pursued him came too, alleging that they were in danger unless they handed over the man accused of murder to the law. On the other hand, he protested and he was innocent of this crime and affirmed by an oath that he was not guilty of blood. At last, since both sides were unshakable, St. Macarius asked them where the man who had been killed was buried. They pointed out the place, and he went to the tomb with the man and all those who accused him. There he knelt down and called upon the name of Christ and said to those who stood nearby, Now the Lord will show if indeed the man is guilty whom you accuse. Raising his voice, he called the dead man by name, and who was called replied, The grave. Macarius said to him, By the grace of Christ, I ask you to say, This man who is accused here is the one who killed you. Then he replied in a clear voice from the grave, saying that this was not the man by whom he was killed. Stupefied, they all fell to the ground, and they begged him, groveling at his feet, to ask the dead man who had killed him. This he said, I will not ask. It is enough for me to have set the innocent free. It is not up to me to discover the guilty. So there we have the three Macariuses and St. Macarius Moore's story. It's, isn't the Orthodox faith just so overwhelmingly rich with saints? The desert fathers, the desert mothers, these are all stories from them, and you can call them stories. You don't have to believe them, but there's so many morals in them, even if you don't believe the fantastical things that happened in these stories. There's so many things we can learn from these stories. Irene shares yet another incident. As usual, I had no time to reflect on those dreams, so I completely forgot about them, but one night, I had a dream, which was more like a vision, and I wondered about what I have seen. Immediately, I headed to the cell of the mother superior whom I frequented as she was sick, and I had to look after her. And it was usual that I passed by her, whether by night or by day. I related to her simply what I have seen. Mother, I saw something like a vision. I was in a state in between being awake and asleep. I saw myself in your cell and three luminous persons wearing monks' apparel, they were wearing crosses and also carried crosses in their hands. I saw you standing holding an oil lamp in your right hand. They took it from your hand and put it in mine. She smiled and said, Just before you come in, I was praying and I asked God to reveal to me who will carry the responsibility after me. And I saw the same vision you have seen. And I asked her, What does this mean? She laughed and said, the three luminous persons are St. Anthony, St. Chenault, the Archimandrite, and St. Pachamios. 
The vision reveals that you are the one who will carry the responsibility after me. I hope you do this while I am still living so that I may rejoice. I said, does this mean that you love me? She replied, I love you very much. I said, this does not mean that you love me. She asked, why? I replied, you are living in great agony. She said, yes, I am. So I told her, why then do you want me to live in agony? She replied, it is for the sake of the convent. So if you didn't quite catch that, what Mother Irene has picked up is that, you know, being the abbess of the convent, the mother superior, is a very daunting job. It's a very thankless job. It's a very lonely job. It causes a lot of agony. Agony. I mean, those of you who are managers in your jobs, your day jobs or night jobs like me, um, know that when you're responsible for other people, that's a great responsibility. And if it's, it, it should not ever be taken lightly. And in this situation, you know, definitely, you know, here a mother superior is in charge of literally the spiritual lives of others. And if they don't do the correct thing, that can damn their soul so bad. We heard about this with St. Faustina. Remember, she saw a nun in purgatory that was suffering, and she prayed and prayed and prayed for her until the nun moved on to heaven. We see that it is such a weight, such a, I don't want to say burden, but it's, it is, as they said, agony. Um, and it should never be taken lightly, and that's why, you know, Mother Irene was like, why, if you're in so much agony as a mother superior, why would you ever want me to do that? And, you know, as the mother superior knew, Mother Irene was the absolute best person for the job. She continues, Mother Superior wanted to retire from the responsibility of the convent and kept persuading me to carry it while she is still living on the pretext that this will give her happiness. But I always replied, this will not give you happiness. On the contrary, it will cause you sadness. And I wept bitterly and at length. Finally, she allowed me to leave and said, do not cry. But this is the interpretation of the dream. You are going to carry the responsibility after me. Days passed by and Pope Carilus VI wanted to choose a superior for the nearby convent of St. George in Old Cairo. His choice fell on Irene, but she refused, so he asked her to carry the responsibility temporarily until he found the suitable nun. Daily in the morning, she went to the convent of the great martyr St. George, and in the evening, she returned to her convent. Omina Kiria Iskander accompanied her all the time. About those days, Irene recalls, I used to receive all the visitors of the convent and accompany them to the shrine of the martyr, and I also had to record daily the income and expenses. I was quite distracted. Many things had to be done. One day I said without uttering the words, St. George, you are unpleasant. I neither want you nor your convent. That said, I found the whole bunch of keys of the convent withdrawn from my hands. The bunch included the keys of the gate, shrine, the library, and the stores. I ran to Amina Kira 
and told her about what had happened to the keys. She said, what do you mean withdrawn? Let's look for them and find them. I looked for them everywhere and could not find them. Please ask a carpenter to come and fix new ones, I replied. But it was already too late to find a carpenter, so she gently addressed me, saying, Irene, confess what has happened between you and the martyr St. George. I said, I'll tell you the truth. I told St. George that he's unpleasant, neither want him nor his convent. She said, what have you done? Go and apologize to the martyr. I replied, why should he be unhappy? I only said the truth. These are my true feelings, and I do not feel that I have done something wrong. While speaking, I realized my mistake and felt humbled and started crying and blamed myself and said, how I have done this and how have I spoken to the great martyr like this? I started prostrating myself, saying, I have sinned, forgive me, God's martyr, and wept heavily. Seeing this, Omina Kira made me sit next to her on the sofa, and after a few moments, we smelt a strong odor of incense, and we heard the rattle of keys in the air and the bunch of keys falling between us. We wondered at God's work and at his tenderness and the martyr's love. At this moment, I remembered the similar incident with St. George brought back the lost gold necklace of my mother. And for those of you who are just tuning into this episode and haven't listened to the other two episodes, the first episode is has the story of the gold necklace and her mother and St. George finding it. Later, under divine guidance, Pope Kirillus sixth choice fell on Omina Kira as Skandar, the nun from our convent, to become the mother superior of the convent of the great martyr St. George in Old Cairo. She was the first mother superior to be consecrated during his papacy. By his orders, the ceremony led by the late Enba Theophilus, Bishop of El Suryon Monastery, together with the late Anba Kirillus, the Bishop of Balayana, took place on the 26th of September, 1961. I was relieved that this had taken place because I was sure that there was no chance for me to carry such a responsibility at my convent. I was the youngest nun, and there were many older devout nuns who were more qualified. However, after a few months, I saw the martyr, Abu Sifian, in a vision. He said, look, I want nobody else to carry the responsibility of this convent. Nobody except you. Whatever you say whether you want or do not want, I have come to tell you that my God wants this and me too. He then collected all the keys from the responsible nuns and tied them with a string and tried to give them to me. I refused and tried to run away, but he put the string around my neck. I kept saying, what's this? What's this? He replied, these are the keys of my convent. I want nobody else to carry its responsibilities. You are going to do so. I said, it's none of my business. And I removed the string of keys from around my neck and threw them back, saying, I do not want them. He put them again around my neck and said, only you and no one but you. I spoke with no one about this vision, neither to my confessor nor to my mother superior, who wanted to put me in charge while she was still living. On the 25th of September, 1962, 
one year after consecration of Omina Curia Iskander at the convent of St. George, my mother superior departed to heaven. Next day, after the praying, excuse me, prayer ceremony for the departed soul, Amba Krilis, Bishop of Valiana, handed me a letter from the Pope informing me that I was the one chosen to be in charge of the convent. I refused to take the letter and started crying. Content of the letter was complete. Surprise to Amba Kirillis, Bishop of Bliana, who said, You're quite right. You're just a child. Are they going to put a child in charge of the convent? It is illogical. The Pope is well known for his kindness, sanctity, and wisdom, yet he has chosen a child to carry the responsibilities of the convent? Then he said, Daughter, do not refuse to take the letter. These are the orders of the Pope. We cannot refuse to carry them out. Later, pay him a visit and discuss the matter with him. I kept saying, how come? He replied, you are quite right. You are just a child. That will not work. Omina Illyria, who was present, humbly kissed my head and gave me a pat on the shoulder saying, stop crying, accept the orders of the Pope. And do not say no. Let the heavy burden lay on our shoulders and the light on yours. I told her, how come? Omina Illyria, this is not acceptable. She replied, do not worry. My father who came here of, excuse me, my father who came to hear of this sent me a letter. Contrary to his usual habit, he wrote, you are not my daughter if you accept this position. Run away and come quickly. I will hide you until they put another nun in charge, and after matters settle down, go back. I was unable to repress my tears until I visited Pope Creelis VI. I told him, Your Excellency, I am not suitable. You do not know me. You have not even taken my confessions. You have met me only once and prayed for me when I was suffering from a headache. He asked me, then who is suitable? I replied, Omina Hiaria. She is a devout nun. She is old and wise. Moreover, she is the second in charge after Mother Superior. And at the moment, she is carrying some of the responsibilities. All the nuns recommend her. There are many others too, like Omina Phoebe, for example. He replied, that's true. How has this passed me? I have completely forgotten about Omina Illyria. All right, keep this as a secret between us. Do not tell anyone. Omina Illyria is the right choice. She's the one all the nuns recommend. Do not upset yourself. Do not tell any of the nuns about this. One day, I will drop by the convent without notice, and I will consecrate her mother superior. I wholeheartedly thanked him and left. I believe with my whole heart that the Pope had told me, and it never passed through my mind that he is just calming me down. I did not know that Omina Kyria Skander, the mother superior of St. George, had told him that I had the intention of running away, and this is why he had to resort to such a plan. Upon my return to the convent, the nuns were surprised to find me calm and happy, and wondered how this had happened. I told them that the Pope has prayed for me, but did not tell anyone what he told me.
Early on Monday, October 15th, <laughs> her month again, October of 1962, after midnight praises have ended in the old church of Abu Sifin that lies now outside the convent, and before the nuns return to their cells, suddenly Father Wallace El Baramasi, later Amba Makarius Bishop Akina, the confessor of the convent, showed up. He informed us that the Pope is coming to celebrate Mass now. Amba Macarius asked me, Do you drink it? Did you drink anything? I replied, We have not finished our prayers yet. Our monastic rule requires that we do not eat or drink anything before we finish the prayers of the ninth hour. He then said, That's good, so that you can receive communion during Mass. I asked him to excuse me to go to my cell and wash my face and wear the appropriate garments for Mass. He replied, let the nuns bring them for you. That reply aroused my suspicions. I said, I hope that there is nothing else behind this. He replied, what could there be? There's nothing else. I replied, how could you do this to me in a strange manner? Surprised, he said, you have not uttered such words when you speak with the nuns, and now you speak with your confessor in this manner? I replied, I am helpless. I have been deceived. At this moment, I started to realize what was going on and started to cry. He then ordered the nuns to bring me my garments, and holding me by the hand, he led me back towards the church. The nuns pushed me as if they were leading me a lamb to slaughter. The more they pushed, the more I cried, oh, bless her heart. The nuns were all around me. It looked like a funeral, and I was the deceased. Oh, my goodness. When Anba Yonas, Bishop of Khartoum, Sudan, who was attending the prayers upon a special invitation from the Pope, saw the scene, he cried too. Amba Kirilis, Bishop of Baliana, gave me no chance to utter a word. He started celebrating Mass. That day, the Pope sent the wine and the Eucharist bread from the Patriarchate, Moreover, he also sent his personal schema for me to wear. It was an awesome mass. So a schema, for those of you who aren't aware, is like part of his vestments. So he sent that to her to wear because I guess he could not be there personally. It was an awesome mass. The Bible verses of the day were the ones read during the consecration of popes. It was about the good shepherd. It read, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I cried bitterly and asked God for his assistance, his mercy, and his guidance. Later, when I visited the Pope, I kindly reproached him and said, What am I to do now? I have worn the schema, and according to its rules, I must recite the Psalms twice daily, and the praises too, and also perform up to 700 prostrations daily. How can I organize myself between the rules of wearing the schema and my work and duties? He said, 
while you are moving around, recite the Psalms and say your prayers. And I said, you see what you have done to me? He replied, I have fervently prayed and found that this is God's will and I could do anything except comply with it. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is where this article ends. Um, you know, again, Mother Irene, although this story sounds very ancient, it's in our lifetime. This happened within our lifetime. She passed away on October 31st of 2006 at the age of 70. 2006, that wasn't that long ago. Well, at least for somebody old like me. Um, but it's just, I mean, the whole story reads like it's from some ancient manuscript from days gone by when actually it is something that is so current in all of these lessons all of the lessons that she shared with us, all of the love and compassion and healing, forgiveness can be put into our practice today. It says here that the countless multitudes who witnessed the life of Tomav Irene, Mother Irene, and who resorted to her for help. There's a website called tomavireneforall.com. And yes, I will definitely have a link to it in the show notes of the show. There's a book called Tamav Irene, The Jewel of Heaven and the Beacon of Monasticism. Unfortunately, it is unavailable at this time. Now, before this airs, I'm going to try to do some digging and see if I can find something somewhere. Maybe on the TamavIreneForAll.com website, they might have more. Um, but this, what I have shared in these last three episodes, are actually from that book. So to me, that's a must-have. I've got to get a copy of that book. And if you feel the way I do about uh, Mother Irene and her story, you're probably right there with me saying, you know what, I have got to find a copy of this book. So if I find a resource for it, uh, whether to purchase the book or perhaps find it online in a PDF format like we just did with these last three shows what we covered, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes and let you all know. Just a quick update, folks. I was able to go to the Tamav Irene for All website, and wow, it is packed with pictures. Uh, there's uh, PDF books, online books on there. Unfortunately, there's only a few in English. There are a few more in German, and the rest are in Arabic or Coptic. And um, there's some audio on there as well, but unfortunately it's all in Coptic or Arabic. But the, the thing is, is if you want to hear Mother Irene's voice, it's there. There's also video. Um, but the one video I watched is actually a YouTube video, and there's a link to that in the description of this show if you want to check it out. What it is, is Mother Irene is doing a press conference uh, with a group of people uh, from her congregation. Uh, I believe it was some family uh, of her congregation or of the church uh, were killed in a plane crash. And it was like 19, 20 people, something like that. Well, uh, Mother Irene actually saw what happened and saw all of them being rescued by angels and the Theotokos, Mother Mary, uh, escorting 
all of them to heaven. And it um, again, of course, it's in, in Arabic or Coptic, but there are English subtitles. And I highly recommend you watch it because you not only get to hear her voice, you get to see her as she was alive. And you definitely get to feel her energy through the video. Can't recommend it enough. It is just wow. It is just like the cherry on top of, of these three shows. If you watch that video, um, it just definitely just takes this finishes this trilogy up so perfectly. And yeah, no, no further luck on uh, finding her book. I've got feelers out on uh, thrift books and Amazon. So I will receive an alert if it comes becomes available. But at this point, the only way it's going to become available is if someone who has a copy sells it. And I would imagine that if they sell their copy and know its value, it's going to be extremely costly, too costly for, for, <laughs> for us meager people. But hey, we are so beyond blessed to have had the information and have the information that we have on Mother Irene and such amazing and, and rich uh, stories that she shared of the miracles in her life and Wow. I, I just, I'm speechless. There's just not enough words and not enough proper words to describe it. So anyway, that is a quick update, folks. I so hope and pray you all have enjoyed this series and please feel free to go back to listen to it over and over. I am. <laughs> this week's prayer request and updates are as follows. Uh, Nicholas, we had mentioned some shows ago, quite a few shows ago, and I apologize for the life of me. I can't remember why or how he dropped off of our prayer request list. But Nicholas is a young man who had a heart transplant in 2019. I believe he was like 14 at the time. Uh, he's still a young man now, and he has been going through rejection. He is uh, awaiting another heart. So this would be his second heart transplant. Um, and he's going through all kinds of battles uh, with his health. Um, his mother updates uh, things on social media quite often. Uh, if you guys would like the information on that, well, matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and include it in the, a link to that Facebook page uh, in the show notes for you guys to uh, check out and follow along uh, Nicholas's journey. And please keep him in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Send him love, healing, and and all kinds of prayers. Next is Haley. I had mentioned Haley last week. Haley. Uh, has terminal ovarian cancer in her husband. Uh, Taylor updated this week saying that the tumors in her um, ovaries is growing, causing her to be sick and vomit several times a day. Um, she was able to get out a little bit this past week with her husband and son. They went to a rodeo um, and had a really good time. Also, a uh, person who had been following them on TikTok is a professional photographer and they offered their services to do a photo shoot. So um, Haley was feeling up to doing a photo shoot and the lady took so many wonderful pictures and did it all absolutely free and from the kindness and love from her heart. And so that's more memories that, uh, you know, Taylor and uh, their son, Weston, who's four years old, will have. 
Next is Maudie. Uh, I had mentioned that she had had a heart transplant. It's been, I believe, 19 days or 20 days ago. Uh, poor Maudie's been through a, a roller coaster up and down. Uh, she finally was able to get the doctors to realize that, you know, the 30 something pounds that she had gained was water weight. So they've been working on adjusting her Lasix and getting it correct. And they finally have. Uh, but, you know, she's been having problems uh, sleeping at night because of not being able to breathe. And those of you like me who have had congestive heart failure know how that is, is when you get that much fluid in your chest, in your lungs and around your heart, it's just very difficult to do or be anything. Uh, but she hasn't posted any updates in a couple days, and uh, that's not like her. So let us please keep Maudie in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Send her all the love and healing energy that we can. And Haley and Maudie will I'll have links like I did last week in the show notes and, and description where you can find them on TikTok and follow along with them. Next is Elaine. She was able to go to her cardiologist this past week and find out why she's on so many medications that she doesn't need to be on anymore. And he took her off those medications. And she has reported that she is feeling 100% better. She has to go back every six weeks, I believe she said, uh, just for a checkup to make sure everything's going good uh, with that adjustment to not being on those medications that she'd been on for, for years. So uh, let us please keep her and her husband, Bob, in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, Lana is, again, having issues with the uh, wound that's on her foot. Um, it's still not healing the way it should be, and um, she's very uh, apprehensive on going to doctors. She doesn't care for going to doctors. Plus, uh, with her mobility issues, it's very difficult for her. So let us please pray. Uh, for Lana, send her healing energy and love, uh, general prayers and requests for health and well-being for Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Clyde, uh, Mike S. I was able to uh, communicate with him this week, and he reported that he is doing well. Uh, it's just that he's still on that one medication that just really messes with your, with your head, and um, he's got a little bit longer to go on that. And then it will be reduced. It's one of those that they have to slowly taper off. Uh, next is Tony, Kathy, Michael T. Uh, Father Mike is still in need of our prayers. He is still having a lot of health issues that aren't resolved and that his doctors just can't resolve. So he's in a queue waiting for another doctor or for his doctor to connect him with another doctor and so on and so forth. Next is his husband, Eddie. Please keep him in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Emma, Jean, uh, Ron is supposed to start his new job in March. Uh, his wife and my sister, Tanya. Cheryl, uh, Elijah is still awaiting a job. He's still looking hard and he's getting a few callbacks. And those who were fighting over him before have kind of just dwindled off, which is very strange. So, of course, this is causing him and his husband, Andrew, some stress, a lot of stress. So let us please keep those two both in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Um, received some great update on Reverend Donald Lewis. As a matter of fact, he posted on YouTube 
a video, and I had mentioned Reverend Donald Lewis uh, last time, if not the time before. He had a massive heart attack and was very close to death, but he's completely pulled out of that nosedive. Uh, he's home. He still has some recovering to do, but he said he's feeling well, and he is going to be sharing his experiences going through that. So I will have a link in the uh, show notes and description for any of you who want to check out Reverend Donald Lewis. And last but certainly not least is uh, Stephanie, uh, who is Haven's sister, who uh, whose husband, Ray, recently passed away. Please keep Stephanie and her children and grandchildren in your heart, thoughts, and prayers as they adjust to uh, life um, without Ray being there physically. And uh, for those of you listening who know Ray or knew Ray, know that <laughs> He was an entity all in and of himself, and uh, he he was definitely a character, and uh, he, he could he could live in a room, really, <laughs> to say the least. So anyway, let us please keep them in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Okay, so I actually have two short prayers or two short statements to to share. So let us pray. Anamani, Divi, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Prayer rising in a person's heart will open the doors of heaven. And that was from St. Ephraim, the Syrian. This is another one from him as well. There is no possession more precious than prayer in the whole human life. Never be parted from it. Amen to that. So for those of you who are interested in receiving some healing I am going to send you some healing here in just a couple seconds if you want to keep listening. Uh, so what we want to do is we want to take three deep, slow cleansing breaths. So we want to breathe in. Hold it for a second or two. Breathe out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Second breath, inhale. And hold. And exhale through the mouth. And inhale through the nose. And exhale. Now I'm going to be quiet. I'm just going to send you all healing energy. Just relax. If you have earphones on or headphones, that's great because that way it blocks out any other noise just so you can feel the energy coming to you through the silence. Let us pray.
Amen. So it was only a minute long, but I hope it helps you. Feel free to play it back, listen as often as you want, and feel that healing energy in the silence. And if you would like healing, if you're in need of prayers, information's coming up here in just a moment on how you can contact me. I so hope and pray that you've enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for here and more with us. Please feel free to stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If this show has helped you, please, please, please share it with as many people as possible. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever format you listen to. That helps move the show up in those formats so when someone does a general search, they're more likely to find the show. And if the show has really helped you and you have the means, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show as well as the Faith and More ministry. Offerings can be made through the Cash App. The show's cash tag is dollar sign faith and more, or you can find us at cash.app forward slash dollar sign faith and more. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. It's a fun place, folks. You can watch videos of weekly Ask Angel questions where people write me and ask me questions and I respond uh, on YouTube. You can also watch me do bi-weekly sermons and homilies. Also, audio of our shows are uploaded to YouTube where you can listen and much, much more. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our Faith and More family love to pray. So let us pray for you. There are two ways to do this. The first is to email me directly at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. The second way is through our website. There is a form at the bottom of the website and the website address is faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com forward slash my dash site. And there are always links to all of these in the show notes for and description for each show. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and in my prayers. Bless you.